0: How do working mums manage it all between raising kids, paid work, drop-offs and pickups, the incessant domestic load, friends and family, and, or well, let's just forget about me time. I can tell you it is a challenge. I'm Jacinta Tynan, news presenter, journalist, author, and mum of two young boys. Welcome to The Mother Shift, a babyology podcast where we explore the ins and outs of different work-life situations with different mums. In so many careers these days, freelancing or contract work is the norm, but with a baby on the horizon, this pay structure can start to feel a bit precarious. Before she had a baby, Donna Reston was a singer and performer who traveled around the world, living out of a suitcase without a secure income. But after the birth of her son Hendrix, the allure of a regular paycheck never looked better. She decided to take on a full-time job and is now the administration manager at SheBirths, a childbirth education program, and she's also a freelance picture editor and writer. Donna joins us now on The Mother Shift. Donne, hello. Thank you for joining us. Hi. So it sounds like you were living quite a, an exciting life before you had your son. Tell us, give us a snapshot. What was life like pre-babyhood?
1: Okay. I'll give you a very brief day in the life. Ready? Okay, wake up basically whenever you want. Get up, go and sit somewhere in the LA hills at a house that you're not paying for, in which resides many artworks by very famous painters. Sit, make a coffee, drink it, write some music. Then put on your trainers and go for a run calmly around the Hollywood hills. Come back, do an hour and a half of hot yoga eat a salad, (laughs) get picked up by your producer, drive to a studio, record said song until about four in the morning. Step out for cocktails somewhere in between with people that you need to impress. Go back in, record till about four in the morning, come home. Can't sleep? That's okay. Take a few sleeping pills, go to sleep, wake up very calm and very refreshed and do it all again. That's life.
0: A little bit of a contrast to other contrast. Other <laughs> Just a tiny one.
1: Just a small one.
0: Sounded pretty wistful, travelling around the world with your swag on your back, singing, was it as glamorous as it sounds?
1: I think if you'd used the word wistful on me five years ago, I would have got all up in your face and and um vehemently denied it. But looking back now from uh where I stand I guess you can use the word wistful. Um at the time I saw what I was doing was working extremely hard. Um, and exhaustively to make a living out of being a creative professional. And that meant giving up a partner and it meant giving up money and it meant, uh, giving up security. And it also meant allowing yourself to be put in the hands of people who had the money, (laughs) and the connections, and the security, and who had an idea about what you needed to be in order to be worth that money, and that security, and be able to do what you want. On the inside, there was a lot of inner anxiety, and pressure, and self-doubt all the time. But, standing where I am now, I think we all know that having a baby changes you dramatically and it's not just your shape and it's not just your day-to-day lifestyle. There is a inner shift that's very difficult to explain. Maybe it's just it's that hormone thing that happens in your brain that never comes back. But looking back on it now, it seems uh, an almost ridiculous gift to have been allowed to do what I was able to do before Hendrix, And not only that, but looking back on it now, I can never believe that I ever complained of being tired, that I ever said I don't have time for that, um, that I ever thought I was under pressure, real pressure from anyone or anything. Because while I was under a lot of pressure, it was, you know, A lot of people were pinning their careers on my career. You know, there was this idea of lives are at stake. If you don't succeed, we all fail because we're all putting our, you know, we're we're all betting on you. Uh, None of those people would literally starve to death. None of those people would literally be unable to dress themselves and walk around or leave the room.
0: (laughs) So when you're talking about these people putting their weight on you to succeed, what sort of work were you doing then?
1: So I was a solo um, artist. I went by the name of Kitty Clementine. After, uh, (laughs) After two albums in Australia, I moved to the States under a manager who was living over there who decided to take me on. He dropped all his other clients, in order to have me. Uh, he teamed me up with a producer who dropped all his other work to work with me. Uh, we, They got on two investors who invested a lot of money in the project. Uh, a lot of money, a lot of time was invested in creating an album, creating a project, creating a brand, uh, all built around me to the plan of earning a lot of money and having a hugely, widely successful (laughs) popular music career.
0: So what changed all of that?
1: Um, Well, when you are playing kind of high stakes music games, we, we used to joke about it that we'd say, we're just putting it all on black. It's just roulette. And you may be hugely popular or you're nothing, but there's no... Median. There's no in between. You you need to be the one of the hundred, and that's what we were betting on. Uh, and I wasn't the one of the hundred, and my manager and my investor fell out, and uh, so the money stopped. So the the brand stopped. No one could afford to work anymore, and we had to let it all go. And hence why I joined Circus. <laughs>
0: Ran away with the circus. It's such a cliche, I literally ran like... away with the circus. <laughs> <laughs> and then not long after that you got pregnant. So when yeah. you were facing this reality of suddenly being a mother and, and having a child, did you still have those ambitions of returning to your singing career and making a name for yourself? No.
1: That was uh that last album was I I made that album because I had decided I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and now I've got nothing left to lose. So if I fail miserably, it's fine because I didn't have anything to start off with. And I, you know, it failed. <laughs> Not that miserably, but yeah. So um, I had given myself that one last chance chance because the sacrifices that you make in your life in order to do that are so great um, that I decided that I couldn't go on creating something that was unsustainable. If this wasn't unsustainable, I had to change it. I had to do something different. It wasn't going to work.
0: What did you think you'd do then when Hendricks came along? Before you'd met him, of course. What did you imagine life would be like?
1: Um, I imagined that I would be... Writing music, working in the studio, I would be touring the world. Um, I would be doing shows, and primarily, I, I, I didn't care about how you know, in inverted commas, big I was, but what all I, I just wanted to be able to make a good income from my own music. So not singing someone else's music, not singing covers, not singing for weddings, not singing superstition for the 1500s time at the pub <laughs> to drunk people. Um, but writing and singing my own music and making a good income from it. That was, my, that was all I ever had as my goal. Um, and it's just the way of the world that if that's what you want to do, you have to, you know. They go, you have to be a superstar in order to,
0: to do that. So then when you had your baby, mm. your son Hendrix, what did you start doing then? Did, did reality look a little bit different to what you'd imagined? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, when
1: I had Hendrix, um, I had obviously come home and we'd, we'd, we'd packed that all up. And honestly, I think I was so broken from that experience, Um, all the music was in the grief cupboard, I called it. It was this cupboard that lived somewhere in in the corner of the room and every now and then if you listened to something really great or you saw a great performance, the the cupboard door would open a little bit and water would come out and you have to quickly close it again. And if I tried to sing, I would just burst into tears. So in order to be there for my child and and in order to even have just the energy to Live <laughs> um, I had to keep that cupboard closed and forget about it. I didn't have the space to deal with that. Um, so once I had Hendrix, he became my world, and for you know that first um, you know, that first eight months or so, I really didn't think about anything else. I was just loving him. And also surviving with the no sleep thing.
0: Did your ambition go out the window with motherhood? Or did it just go back in that, behind it that always, Yeah, I think
1: I put it in the cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was all very much tied in. I, I kind of just had to look it away for a while.
0: Does money suddenly become more of an issue once you become a mum? Yes. <laughs> Dear
1: God. <laughs> um, yes, it becomes a huge issue. Um I started freelancing writing because it was, you know, suddenly apparent like we needed money. There's another mouth to feed. Yeah, and you have to like pay for a proper apartment. I used to live for practically nothing or in share houses or house sit or (laughs) I guess your standards of living and your, your, your needs of living change a lot.
0: So, did you decide that after freelancing for a while, you had to get a full-time job? And and was that a big jump for you? Okay, so I think
1: by the time um, I started freelancing, and when I started freelancing, uh, Hendrix went into daycare like two days a week, um, so that I could so that I could write. And the, when he started doing that, that was I just suddenly was just like I loved it. He was happy there. How Uh, old was he then? He was like, I think he was 11 months.
0: There's still this view that childcare is an easy way out, that as a parent we're cutting corners if we put our children into childcare. But it is really beneficial for kids as well, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I found that obviously Hendricks really took to childcare. He's a really social kid. But the main thing to me that I came to realise about it was that we're always, you're always seeing um, parenting blogs or anywhere that you read um, that, you know, raising a child takes a village. And there is this real expectation, working mums and non-working mums, that we all get together and we all need to g- give each other as much as we can. But I feel like our society is not the village anymore. We're not living with our parents all the time. We don't have these generations looking after our children and sharing the burden. We don't have um, the kind of full-time nannies and nurses as part of our Western culture um, to to help with that child-rearing. And so to me, childcare is the village. It's that one place where there's all you need for a village is other children and people to care for those children who really care for them and can stay with them over a long period of time to give those children a sense of um, security and trust and play. Um, And he seemed happy and I really needed that break. I wasn't handling being full-time mum very much. Um, And I really was craving my own headspace and my own creativity and my a way to, to do something. Um, so, yes, starting getting a taste of, of doing some kind of work again, um, very, very quickly escalated into, geez, one, I like this, two, I just, we just need money. Like, we need to make an income now. You know, we need to shift to an adult way of thinking about money.
0: It sounds like it was a relief to have money coming in. Did it feel like that? Okay, just to get
1: this clear, I had never in my entire life had a proper job. Like I had always worked casually, it was cash in hand or, or freelance money here and there, but never, ever, ever in my life had I worked in a place where I got a salary. And this shift was an inconceivable thing to me. And when I started working at my full-time job, I couldn't believe that this is how most of the world lived. Like, it was this easy to make money.
0: (laughs) Sounds like a bit of a revelation for you, wasn't it? (laughs) It was ridiculous. And as well as the money coming in, what what are the other advantages? Because there are lots of advantages to having a full-time job, like sick days and holidays and super and all that yes, sort of thing. Yes. Did, that, did that come out of the blue to you as well?
1: That was a revelation. I couldn't believe it. I'd never, ever been, been able to be sick and still get paid for it. And I'd never ever been able to just be really tired maybe and need a mental health day and be able to just call gastro on the situation and still get paid for it and you secretly whisper that to your colleagues and they're like, I know it's fine, we call gastro on it too. And you know what else was really, really important to me in that was how it affected my relationship as well. I think that was a huge thing because I really struggled with, My partner being the one that was earning the money and me being the one that was at home looking after the kid. Um, Because in my mind, it's like, okay, my job is to look after the child and to do the dinner and to clean the house and to be the housewife and to do all the things. And I hated it so much. (laughs) I needed a balance in our relationship as much as I needed that extra money and bringing in that money allowed me to say to myself, okay, now we put in 50-50 to all our expenses and we share the labour, 50-50, you're on.
0: What gave you the idea that that was your role as a woman? I don't know. I
1: expected it of, what else do you do? Isn't that ridiculous?
0: It's ingrained.
1: It's ingrained. Yeah, I mean, my mum did it, but she also worked.
0: Yeah, it, it, it sounds, so, though, surprising because you're such an independent woman who's had her own career and travelled the world literally and seen the sights. And yet, when you became a mother, you reverted to that traditional role, mm. or you thought that was where you were supposed to be, yes. of being at home and getting the meals on the table and raising baby. Yeah. What well, was that? Like, and you never what... considered an alternative? No, not while I had Hendrix.
1: You know, I I was very. Attached to Hendrix, and you know, I found it difficult to leave him with other people. I felt, you know, like things were just easier and calmer when he just stuck with me. I'm lucky; he's a very social kid, so he adapted very well to daycare and all that. But in terms of just our family unit, yeah, it wasn't even it wasn't even close to an even split in that childcare, and I harbored a lot of resentment from it. I, I did it and I expected it of, it of myself, but I didn't do it with grace. I loathed
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> Were you doing everything yourself? Is that how you felt?
1: Yes. I felt like I was doing everything myself. Um, I saw my partner in my eyes was slowly becoming that 1950s style man that kind of came home, flopped on the couch and, you know, was served dinner and then didn't wash up the plates and didn't put them away. And I started to really resent him for it. And eventually getting a full-time job was part of being able to do this, but eventually I snapped and just said, I I can't do this anymore. And we resolved to get a cleaner. And I've said it before and I will say it again and I will cry it to the mountain that a cleaner is the best thing you can do to save your relationship. Better than any marriage counsellor. Better than marriage counsellors. Just get a cleaner. (laughs) Unbelievable. And cheaper too. (laughs)
0: You're listening to the podcast, The Mother Shift, with me, Jacinta Tynan. With each mum returning to work, we look at the issues, difficulties and experiences with our resident careers counsellor and psychologist, Kirsty Levin, who will draw on Donne's experience to help other mums returning to the workforce. So Donna, you you've waxed lyrical about the, the benefits of full-time work. It sounds like you really fell into it. What were some of the drawbacks, though?
1: I started to feel like I was drowning in a a sea of normalcy, in a way. Um, Working in the full-time job, I was essentially working for somebody else. I was fitting into their structure. I was ticking off their boxes in order to move to the levels that they deemed were acceptable for me to be at. And I was kept at levels that they deemed me acceptable to be at for them. I started feeling like I was beating my head against a wall every day and I got to a point where I felt like I was banging my head against a wall. The values that I cared about, creativity and freedom and expression and authenticity and what you're doing, were not valued where I was working. And the sheen that I had given that place to work with all the perks. When that sheen was taken off, it was just a very, very boring and dull, dull place to be.
0: Did it start to not be worth it for you, that, that idea of seeing the the numbers appearing in your bank balance? That wasn't enough of a payoff anymore?
1: Yes. There's a saying that, um, what is it, the The work will always fill to expand the amount of money that you're earning. So when you think that you need more money for less work, the money, the work will always expand to fill that money. And so you never are earning enough money. And I felt like that as well. The the hours expanded to fill the income I was earning and I was getting less and less time With my kid, I was every morning, was rushing to get the kid to daycare and every afternoon was rushing to get him home in time. And then your value, your quality time is so limited. And then any time for extra things is nothing because you're exhausted and you don't have inspiration and you've got nothing to drive for. There is no reason to do anything anymore. You just kind of go, okay, well, this is what I earn. And this is all I have to do to do it. And we would just live comfortably. And that was, got to a point where it was unacceptable for me.
0: You've described your work life, Donne. I'm interested to know what life was like when Hendrix was young with all those other parts of your life. Was he sleeping? Did you have support from family and friends, your partner?
1: Okay. So Hendrix was never a great sleeper. He wasn't the sleeper that. You know, he didn't wake up every 45 minutes for the first, every night for the first 18 months, thank the Lord. But he woke up two, three times a night and was awake at four, five in the morning, every morning for a long, long, long time. He still wakes up once in the night and comes in and wakes me up at 5.30 in the morning, (laughs) relentlessly. So I didn't get much sleep. And there's many, many mothers who have had far worse experiences than me wearing their young babies. And I think I was basically just a really ordinary mum dealing with a pretty ordinary child. So, yeah, I was really tired and I was just doing the thing that you do. Sometimes you have a great day because they grab your face and they smoosh their nose into your nose and it's just the best thing ever and your heart melts and then other times you just have a really, really rubbish day and you're you know, you have to walk out and I don't know, I remember I remember having to leave our really tiny apartment on top of a sushi train that stunk like fish all the time. It was disgusting because I was having a panic attack and my partner was away and I like took the only way to deal with the panic attack was to be barefoot in grass with my hands on the grass that's the only thing I know and so I had to like take Hendrix down and I remember like putting him in the pram next to me and he's screaming and I'm like heaving and sobbing and got my like throwing off my shoes and putting my hands on the ground and my feet on the ground and sobbing and crying and so that's kind of a normal rubbish day. That happens on a regular basis, (laughs) and you kind of just accept that.
0: Does the grass thing work?
1: It actually really works. Panic attacks, ground yourself. Hands, bare hands, bare feet on earth. Any kind of earth works.
0: Did you have any support? I know your partner was away a lot. Did you have anyone else that was around to help you out?
1: When we first had Henriks we were in Melbourne, Um, and we had my partner's family live there. But... Yeah, everyone works full time. I didn't have the the daily support, and I didn't really have any friends that I was close to with kids there. So we moved from Melbourne when he was about six months because my partner was travelling so much, and I just said I can't do this anymore. Uh, when once we moved to Sydney, I am really lucky. I have my my parents there. They're retired came and visited regularly I could go to their house and hand over the baby and try and sleep every now and then I was also really lucky that three of my closest oldest best friends we all had babies like literally like four and a half months apart um so I had them as well but then also when when you're all drowning in the early babiness everyone's kind of drowning at home alone a lot of the time and they're there, but you can't reach them a lot. But when you do, it's, you, God, you're grateful for them.
0: So important to build that My community, isn't it? Mm-hmm. If you can, mm-hmm. it's a blessing to be able to do it. You're so lucky to have had friends, to have had their babies around the same time. Incredibly lucky. Unusual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've done a, a, a lot of different jobs over the years, and you're back working full-time now. So tell us about that job. You did a birthing course. You loved it so much. You bought the company. Basically.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, so I I now work for She births, which is founded by Nadine Richardson. And I found out about She births because I used to do Nadine's prenatal yoga classes and they were just the best thing ever in the world. Go to the Shala in North Bondi and get the most incredible adjustments you've ever had in your life. And she recommended I do she-births. So I was living in Melbourne, so we did a, We did an online course. And for me, it was what the course taught my partner it was amazing. Like during our birth, my partner was so onto it. He went from going, oh, I know everything. Wait, I know nothing to I'm the man. I got this. I'm telling everyone what to do. Nurse, she's in transition. It's time. And the nurse going, oh, yep, she is. So it I really loved that and then when I started freelance writing I sort of was writing about parenting and birth and so I would started to call Nadine for expert opinions and so we kept up this you know kind of interesting um professional relationship over over years and it was um after I left my full-time job and we went on a family holiday and I came back and I was like, right, I need work, I need it now, what am I going to do? And this email appeared in my inbox going, hi, we're looking for an administration manager. And I just called her and I said, I'm the perfect person for the job, I'm exactly what you need. So you you manifested (laughs) Right, you are. (laughs) In
0: in true she-birth style, you manifested the job.
1: Exactly.
0: (laughs) And how's that going for you, working those regular hours in something you love?
1: It's amazing. I have to say, seeing what I have now really highlighted the rubbish that I was putting up with before and deeming acceptable and okay in a work environment. We have a very small team. There's three of us, Nadine, Anna, who's the marketing girl, and I, and Each of us are very different, and we think very differently, but the way we work together is amazing. We really, really complement each other. And comparing that to the struggle that I had constantly with my superiors in my other jobs, yeah, it's such a relief, and and it's so uh, good to to do it and go, oh, you know what, You, I don't have to put up with that kind of stuff. It's not okay. It's not natural or normal and it's not all your fault. And with the right mindset and with, you know, still hard work and discipline and attention to how you work and how other people work and everyone doing that together at the same time <laughs> creates uh, a really supportive and productive work environment. And, and that's something, uh, yeah, I'm so grateful for.
0: Back when you were writing for the circus and travelling the world and singing and, and looking at a potential solo career, I bet you never would have imagined you'd be doing this kind of work. So when you look back on that woman, on Donna before you became a mum, is there any advice you'd like to give her if you could?
1: You know what? I think the advice that I give her is pretty much the same advice that I give her when I first had Hendrix. And the advice is this, sleep more and don't feel guilty about it. Party more. Have as many love affairs as you want and don't get too wound up in them and don't hold on to them. Let them go and do whatever you want, whenever you want. And don't worry about the longevity of anything because everything changes all the time and you will get there. And the more true to yourself and the more wild you are if you're feeling wild or the more quiet you are when you're feeling quiet, the better that you're going to be for you and your life and your happiness and the happiness of everyone around you.
0: You certainly walk your talks, don't you? Ma'am. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, motherhood changes, doesn't it, on a, an hourly basis? Certainly you probably feel very differently about it now than you did when Hendrix was born. How would you describe motherhood hmm. at the moment?
1: At the moment, it's like kind of an amazing joy. There's you know, Hendrix is just about to turn four, and, and when he turned three, I was like, oh, I like this. I like the threes. Like, sleep is still a thing. Let's just put that aside. <laughs> but it was suddenly having a human that um, that's so, it's you know, is really communicating with you and is funny and you can play with and you can play things that you like to play as well. Like, is, is a great revelation. And Hendrix now is, like, this morning, you know, we get up, And I was like, oh, let's do some, you know, some, like, painting while we, like, paint, um, you know, that water paint by colour thing. You just, there's a page that's got colour on already, you put water on it, it turns into a picture. Like, let's do that while we... Have breakfast mainly because I find it very soothing, and because it keeps him focused on one thing.
0: <laughs> You're a great mum. You actually paint at breakfast with your son. Well, it's better than him asking for telly. <laughs> and so we're doing that. Most of us do the telly, but okay.
1: And then he goes, oh, "I want to, can I, I want to paint with the like the real paints?" And I'm like, oh, "Okay, fine, fine, fine." So I get this, like you know, get a book out, and he does this thing, and I've taken a photo of it, and I'm seriously. I'm just gobsmacked by what this kid does every day and the pride that you feel is insane. Like, you don't feel that pride for anything else, really, that lives in your life. So, I feel like right now it's this there's this really great quote, and I don't know who said it. Someone said, Motherhood is sheer misery, punctuated with moments of transcendental joy. And I wish I knew who said it. If anyone knows, tell me. So I can give them credit because I say it all the time. But going from the baby stage, which was that to me, to this like three-year-old stage, which is like, oh, this is really nice. Like he's my mate and we we can be buddies and we can hang out. And sometimes, you know, he's like the difficult mate that you sometimes have to drag home from the pub kicking and screaming over your shoulder, but he's a good mate. And now he's just kind of that person in your life that is just like you're just so wowed by them at every moment. He's do like these shifts. And it's exciting to see what he's going to become. And all of that said, I think the biggest shift that I have felt about motherhood right now, where we're at now, is since having Hendrix, I've always felt, okay, everything that I am able to do that I'm capable of doing, I'm a very career-driven person, regardless of what I'm doing. I can't help it. I I love it. But... My baby was always something that was holding me back from the career, something that was always preventing me from being able to do what I wanted to do because my ideas of what a a good career is for me is very uh, loose. (laughs) It's very difficult to keep a kid on board with that as they need to go to school and do all the things. And I'm just coming to this new realization or or just an ability to see the possibility that maybe he's not that thing that's stopping me anymore he's at an age now where i don't know i just think about like a mother monkey and the the child monkey like she just does what she always does and the monkey like comes with and you know just grows next to her and learns and it doesn't matter what you're doing you just bring the monkey along <laughs> And that's kind of where I feel I am now. It's a, it's, it's a big it's a shift there.
0: I hope that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> and that we're monkeys. <laughs> Donna, you've shared such wonderful insights about your working life, both freelance full-time and raising a, a wonderful little boy at the same time. Thank you for joining us on The Mother Shift. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was Donna Restop, a singer-songwriter and now administration manager at SheBirths, a childbirth education program. Kirsty Levin is our resident careers counsellor and psychologist from the Parents' Village who joins us now to reflect on that whole idea of choosing a full-time job over perhaps a more financially insecure but creative career path. And, Kirsty, that often happens, doesn't it, that when we're young we follow our passions and our true calling as we should mm-hmm. and then reality sets in often when you become pregnant or when the, when the baby arrives what are your tips for making that often necessary transition from a career of passion to, to one of financial security. How do you get your head around that?
2: So it is really clear that your roles and responsibilities are so different pre-baby versus post-baby. So pre-baby, um, you have a lot less responsibility and your set of priorities and focus is generally on yourself because that's the only person you have to take care of. Post-baby, you have another being to be fully responsible for. And so it's really important to sit down with your partner or your family and friends to reassess what your values and your priorities are so that you can figure out what the best career decisions might be that suit your family unit at the time. So values might be free artistic expression beforehand, but after baby, they might be more practical and more financially focused so that you can seek some stability. So sitting down and actually talking about what's really important to you, what are you hoping to achieve um, as a family unit together, can help you to identify your top Three priorities and your top three values, so that you can rejig your career choices.
0: It all sounds a little bit depressing, really. <laughs> it's <laughs> at, like it can be a real crisis of confidence time, can't it? When you've got the changes of parenthood as it is, but you're giving up on your dream so often. How do people stop themselves from feeling like they're they're selling out, selling themselves short?
2: So I really think it's a time to reframe the way that you think, instead of thinking it as a black and white situation of I've lost this, Uh, I no longer am able to pursue this, I think it's an opportunity to rethink and refocus as far as a short-term phase in life. So obviously raising a child has ebbs and flows where you have, you know, the toddler or the newborn stage and the toddler stage and then they grow up and become gradually more independent over time. So each of those phases can have a shift in your career path and shift in decision making. So don't see anything as hard and fast and forever. You can make new decisions as your child
0: and your family grows with you. Is it almost like a biological imperative that you you have to become a provider when you've got young children and it's only for that stage of life?
2: I definitely think, yes, that becomes the core goal, at least in the early stages, because there are so many needs for the family unit at that early newborn phase, and particularly because mums are recovering and recuperating from birth, and they often do need time off to be able to, well, not time off, but time away from paid employment to be able to raise that that baby um, along with their partner. So I think your whole world has to readjust, and, and all of your goals have to shift accordingly, at least for that first 12 month
0: period. What was surprising in Donne's interview, and you hear this a lot with mothers, is that they might be real feminists out there forging their careers, but when they become mothers, they sort of revert to a really 1950s model of parenting. The childbearing does something to people and they revert into the really stereotypical gender roles. How do people address this? It is really
2: interesting that there's sort of an unspoken assumption or expectation not only of the parents themselves um, but also of their partners that they will settle into these 1950s types of roles. And I think what it really needs is open, frank conversation right from the get-go. So I think the more you talk about your assumptions and the more you talk about your your expectations of how your day-to-day is going to roll out and how your parenting roles um, bounce off each other and what you expect from each other, the better off you're going to be in the long term. I think if you assume that your partner is just going to take on that 1950s housewife um, position, you, you might you know find yourself in a lot of trouble or find yourself resenting that in time if it hasn't been brought to the surface and sort of verbalised and discussed openly. And
0: yet there are many women that say they actually welcome that shift. They want to be home with their babies and they want to be homemaker for a while. Mm. Nothing wrong with that, I guess. Either. Absolutely, yeah. I think things change
2: all the time. Um, when you find yourself in a completely new situation and you can't anticipate how you're going to feel until you are in it, you know, you have to embrace whatever comes with that in the moment. Some new parents will absolutely love being home with their baby and want to spend that, you know, full year with their child before they launch themselves back into work. Others find themselves in a position where they go, "Eh, not for me, I really want to get back to work sooner rather than later. Um, And that's where they have to figure out the juggle between childcare and work and and, um, raising a child as well. So everyone's really different. Donna's solution was to get a cleaner. Pretty good idea, don't you think? I think that is hands down a fantastic <laughs> idea. I think outsourcing as much of the mundane sort of drudgery type of work that you perform at home is the best solution for your relationship, um, for your sense of happiness together, and to free up that time to focus on, you know, the quality interactions with your family members and your baby, absolutely. So even down to dry cleaning, getting someone else to iron your clothes, getting a cleaner, getting a gardener, whatever it takes. Getting a counsellor. Yes,
0: outsource, all of those aspects, yep. Donna also talked about how her partner is actually away for several months at a time working So she's left at home with the child managing everything. How do parents negotiate that? How do they manage when one partner's away a lot?
2: That can be really tricky and really lonely and isolating as well when you have a partner away for lengthy periods of time. I think it's really important to be planned and organised when you have a partner that needs to travel, to ask your partner to give you a lot of leeway and advance notice so that you can plan ahead as far as building in extra resources or extra support that you might need during that time so that you can anticipate what your needs might be. I think the more that you can think ahead about periods of time when you need that extra support, the less stressed you're going to feel or less anxious you're going to feel about that period of time. So, yeah, a lot of planning and discussion needs needs to
0: take place. We heard Donne say that she was actually feeling really liberated when she got full-time work and to see that money appearing in her bank account every month was just this breath of fresh air. People say that, don't they, that once they've gone from being freelance or, or working in a really creative industry where you never know when the money's coming, it can actually be really freeing. To suddenly have financial security. Do you see that happen?
2: Absolutely. It, it is a game changer to be living and, and sort of flying by the seat of your pants pre-baby is all well and good when you've only got yourself to look after. But when you suddenly have a baby in the mix and you have to buy nappies and food and and um, you know maintain childcare arrangements and those sorts of things, absolutely having financial freedom and knowing that you've got money in the bank to rely upon is really, really important. So it alleviates a lot of pressure and a lot of anxiety about you know, how you're
0: going to maintain that lifestyle in future. I remember getting really surprised by how expensive motherhood is. Do you think people don't plan ahead for that, don't realise what's coming?
2: Yes, you're right. They do not plan ahead enough. They don't think about the high costs of just the basics like the nappy and the, you know, formula if they decide to formula feed. The clothes that they constantly grow out of. Um, they don't consider the cost of childcare as something to budget for and save in advance for. Um, and they Often don't even think ahead about schooling requirements and whether they want to go down the path of you know public versus private and the varying costs associated with each of those. So it is really important to at least factor those aspects in um, to an early budgeting conversation to see what you're you're okay with setting aside.
0: It can be a bit of a shock to the system too, can't it, when you go from not working or working in a very ad hoc situation to a full-time or part-time job in an office, in a working environment, how do you recognise when that environment is supportive and when it's not?
2: It's really important to find complementary personality types. So when you're interviewing for a job, for example, I often say to clients, you are interviewing your future employer just as much as they are interviewing you as an employee. It's so important to trust your gut instincts when it comes to meeting those future um, colleagues and those future managers, for example, because if there is something that triggers you slightly or makes you think, oh, it's not quite right, I didn't quite gel with that person, or I don't quite get that work culture, that is potentially a red
0: flag for you to consider in making your decision. We have to compromise a bit though, don't we? And as you were saying, because parenthood is so expensive and we do often need that job, as opposed to want that job once we've got little mouths to feed. So how do you find the courage, or when do you know if the time is right to leave a job if it's not right?
2: So I think the question that's really important to ask yourself when you're in any job is, what are the benefits it's bringing me at this point in time? How is this position serving us as a family and how is it serving me as an individual? Is it developing me professionally? Is it inspiring me? Do I feel motivated? Is it sustaining me financially, for example? Those are just a couple of the questions you can ask. And if the responses coming back are all sort of negative, no, it's not not fulfilling me, no, it's not motivating me, I'm having conflict at work, for example – Those are the sort of checklist items you need to start thinking about to figure out whether you need to start seeking out a new opportunity. And I do always say, don't wait until you get to desperation point before you decide to leave. Because by that stage, you are so deep in a rut of negativity and lack of motivation that it's very, very hard to pull yourself out. I always um, advise people to think carefully about how the job is working for them at certain milestones or certain checkpoints. So in the first month, the first three months, then six months, You know, nine months and 12 months, keep asking yourself and reflecting upon how this position is working for you.
0: Because it's not worth all the money in the world, is it? If you're unhappy, and then you tend to take that into Mm. your role as a mother or a parent, don't you? Exactly
2: right. It's very hard to compartmentalize how you feel at work when it's really getting you down. And that does tend to overflow into your home life. If you're feeling stressed or anxious or really negative about your work and you're not getting along with your colleagues and you don't enjoy the projects being given to you, that definitely does have an overflow effect to your family. So um, the more that you can discuss it and reflect upon it, um, the better off you can be. And if you set yourself those milestone sort of check-in points for a bit of a debrief, if you like, with your partner or with colleagues or friends, to figure out whether this position is working for you, then at least you can come to a point of realisation sooner, hopefully rather than later, about whether you should stay or whether you should go.
0: Kirsty, invaluable advice there. Thank you so much. Welcome. That was Kirsty Levin, Careers Counsellor and Psychologist from the Parents' Village. If you're a working mum and you have a question about your work-life balance and how to keep on top of everything you're doing, send us an email. Podcast at babyology.com.au. Subscribe to The Mother Shift wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like it, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating and review. That's it for today's episode. I'm Jacinta Tynan. Join us next time for more of The Mother Shift, a babyology podcast.